1: You're listening to a podcast yeah. from the Word.
2: <laughs> I have boiled this um, I didn't boil a kettle. Look, so this tea is gonna just stay this colour, sort of it's pale. Cool, cool tea. It's cool tea. It's, almost nice tea. <coughs> <laughs> it's almost iced tea. It's <laughs> almost iced
0: I've got to start happens. with an item that I shamelessly pinched from Danny Baker's programme uh, the weekend, which I thought was so good uh, that I d- had to share it. So I- I've, written- I've written two words on a bit of paper, Mark. Yeah, cool. And I'm going to hand them to you, mm. and-, and-, and you're going to read them out I'm in answer to biscuit. a series of mm. questions. Do you want to finish your biscuit? No, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to blow this, no. but, you know, are getting your biscuit wrong. Mm. OK. Right, so don't-, don't read them out until I give you the question. OK. OK, so unfold that. Right, OK. What's your favourite sandwich? <laughs> What's your favourite sandwich? Do I have to say this? What's your favourite sandwich? Beer can.
2: <laughs> Who really wrote Shakespeare? Uh, a beer can. This is good, I see, beer, beer can. It is the way you sound Jamaican,
0: is the, <laughs> the two words, beer and can. Who's your favourite modern painter? Beer can. So, basically, it's an interview with Aston family man Barrett. It's brilliant. He just answers beer can. Beer beer can. can, can. So, the two words, beer and can, (laughs) can instantly transform you into trench-time patois. Exactly. The
2: township. Absolutely. We're back.
0: We are back. the word... Fraser, hello! Uh, th- with the word podcast, uh, we've missed weeks, haven't we? We have. Shamelessly. It's been the best part of the month. Um. And for that, well, it's, it's only because you were uh, you were um, doing nursing duty for, was, your, for yes. your mother, weren't you? Tending
1: to my dear old mum.
0: <laughs> Less of the old, I would think. Uh, but she's all fine now. Does she listen she's to the uh, She doesn't case, know. Well, then you get away with calling her <laughs> old.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> she's angry she's fine. She just won't be playing basketball for a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, dear. What a loss. She's seven foot two. Uh, <laughs> she probably
0: is. So, uh, here we are. Lots to discuss. Lots to catch up with. Uh, including the introduction of a brand new... We're going to have an experiment with a brand new, a brand new game concept, which we think could revolutionise um, radio and podcasting. Mark Ellen taking a, t- a tea I'm <laughs> trying to find a place on to a put pair of shoes no. in the Mixmag fashion cupboard where You're we're recording right, this. That's terrible, uh, it? This is called Rock Trumps. Okay, Rock Trumps. It's a very simple idea based on the um, you know the well-known children's card game where you. You, you were all familiar with this, yeah, 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 racing cars yeah. or whatever. So I, I, I'm just interested in see see whether this will work. You know, it, it, it's a pub game. It's a pub game which we're handing over to the massive to make of what they will. Okay, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna present Mark and Fraser in turn with three questions. Okay, and you have to answer them, and I'm going to be the judge of who comes out.
2: Okay. Top All
0: right. No, in go the Rock Trump's Steak. OK. He's been okay. around
1: for longer than I have. This isn't fair.
2: <laughs> so you don't you have special powers and things as <laughs> Rock Trump's. I'm trying to remember how these were my kids used to play with Masters of the Universe. Oh, really? Yeah, Skeletor had special powers. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had things where uh, there were some wrestlers, WWF wrestlers, which Top Trump's, which had their diet. You had to have their, their diet. It was all steak and chips. Oh, right. Which is what they all liked, I think. 18-ounce uh, T-bones, steak and chips. Well, I'm going to start with a question. Oh, got yeah, go on. Okay. Okay. a bit like
0: my diet yeah <laughs> first question mark ellen have you ever introduced anyone on stage oh yes i have gosh yeah well probably quite a few times actually um i have i
2: did the other night actually didn't i that uh, the word concert oh right yes. yeah but no but uh, who else uh, the undertones the Undertones, But where? Old Grey was the test. Was a cat- on stage, a catastrophic moment
0: of my career. Oh, leave aside television. Oh, is that all right? OK. On stage, I said. On stage. Oh, that Come was on. on stage. Oh, OK. Where was that? There was, was there it? a
2: concert in, in somewhere in... what was that place we used to go to? It became Was it in Hitchin? Red Hitchin. Hitchin. Right. Regal. The regional in Hitchin. And, uh, no, all I remember was that I had to introduce them and that when I was tipped off, all the cameras would be running, and I would go on stage and say, all the way from Derry, whatever it was, because they were very insistent that they were from Derry, of course, not from quite rightly, from... from and I, I was so nervous that I mistook... It was like being at one of those sort of terrible auctions where you, you scratch your nose and buy a, a painting you didn't want to buy. I mistook the director, David Croft's, uh, hand signal for my moment to go on stage. So I charged on stage and delivered my my incredibly rehearsed, memorised monologue about this group. Please welcome, you know, make you know, very welcome to the regal in it, the mighty undertones. And they went surging into their first song, and I'd gone in early, so there was no sound, there was no... (laughs) They had had to stop. (laughs) So that worked well. That was terrific. And and Elton John, of course, Elton John.
0: Where did you introduce Elton? Elton? John at the Hammersmith Odeon. Oh, well, okay. Is that allowed? So far, Mark Allen in the lead. Yeah, which I had to
2: practise in the kitchen, I remember. I was so terrified. It was on live on BBC Two and in stereo on on Radio Two, simultaneously. I I remember practising in the kitchen... Uh, with my wife uh, watching me, holding a hand, uh, holding a milk bottle. I think, it's a microphone, trying to uh, try to get into my head what I was going to say. Horrific.
0: So well, not good. good. Fraser, have you ever introduced anybody on stage?
1: Never.
2: Okay.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> this is really weird.
2: another way that I come in with a couple of things which I thought were perfectly legitimate <laughs> being on stage at the Hammersmith Odeon in London Dave's not impressed somehow this doesn't count <laughs> Fraser comes with with nothing at all no. so it'd be a although,
1: although I have a friend who um, oh, a friend. <laughs> all right. who, uh, who for a while has been introducing the bands on the second stage at the V Festival right. and his trick which he does deliberately is, is to misintroduce bands so he will introduce uh, Echo Belly as Echo and the Bunny Men, or vice versa. That's funny. And so the first thing that the band go on is it, it, in a really wound up state because someone's got their name wrong.
0: I'm amazed that they go on at all. Did that help them? I don't know. So hey, what okay. about you? Come on, you went on stage. I, mean, I
2: remember you uh, introducing Aswad. Oh, I've so done harder yeah, I've than done the, this. They do not come. Say,
0: anyway, that's first. Your own game. First round. <laughs> okay. First round. Mark <laughs> Ellen in the lead. Okay. okay. Right, Same rounds. Round, yeah. Top trumps. Rock trumps. What's the strangest, and I'll start with Fraser here, strangest rock festival you've ever been to? Oh, well, this isn't strictly a rock festival. Uh, I've
1: been once before. I went in 2007, and I'm going to go again this year, which is the Gucca Gypsy Brass Festival in southern Serbia, which is just tremendous. It's uh, a norm- year-round, Gucca is a village of a couple of thousand people. For one weekend, the best part of half a million people to send on the place. It's, uh, it's free to get in. Um, it's the drunkest place I've ever been to. Everyone, everyone is absolutely hammered. <laughs> what are yeah, they drinking? The, the, yeah, what kind? Of... Well, there's, a, a, there's an entire area of the uh, of the festival site devoted to jägermeister, for a start.
2: Which is pretty pokey, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. have uh, yeah. it's, oh, it's, it's cloudy looking
1: stuff. It's chaotic. You have entire cows on spits being rotated. <laughs> oh, my God. It's uh, it's it's all about meat and beer.
2: <laughs> <You must laughs> I don't see what you like about that. It's got your and name, and, and it, despite the
1: brick. fact that everyone is is drunk, there's no belligerence or aggression.
2: It's very odd. we well, are so full of cow. You <laughs> Maybe it <laughs> is.
1: Yeah. But it's, it's the only cow, festival you. I've been to <laughs> where you could buy a meat cleaver.
0: <laughs> in stalls. Not usually on another it's, person. It's it's on you can actually buy a meat cleaver. Yeah. Yeah. Really? the get your cleavers. Lovely cleavers.
1: Usually, meat cleavers and alcohol—it's recipe for disaster.
2: You think no no way, yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah.
1: Um, it's the only festival I've been to where you can get your photograph taken sitting on a Harley Davidson with a. you sitting behind you as a very laggy Serbian blonde cradling a python.
0: Yeah. Sounds very indie. It's, 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 very,
1: it's, terrific.
0: Very, it's terrific. So, Mark, what about you? Strangest uh, rock festival you've ever I'm, been to? Oh,
1: God. I've
2: been to several, actually, uh, but I only had one, aren't I? Yeah. Stonehenge, 74. Yeah. Oh, right, well... That was strange, you because you were that? allowed... Oh, God, I'm so old. Could You're you go amongst the stones go in the stones. In those days, no. you could go the, I, I was with my uh, two pals up in uh, college, and we realised, we'd been up all night boozing, I think we realised it was, it was the summer solstice. And I think I volunteered the suggestion that if we got into the car and drove down to, to, uh, to Salisbury Plain... You know, we might see the sunrise in a slightly hippieish way. I didn't think—I didn't know there'd be a <laughs> festival. Actually, I just thought it just might be something out of *Test of the Durmavilles*. It'd just be us and, uh, and the ancestral stones, ancestral and <laughs> more than ancestral, really, aren't they? And uh, when we got there, it was a rock an festival, and I can remember somebody like—I assume Hawkwind—was playing on a trailer or like a flatbed truck. With the sides down, with, all those sort of, with some generators, uh, which actually made more noise than the, the they Than the
0: band did, yeah.
2: yeah. and then around the stones were a load of people dressed as druids. Um, I remember being rather sceptical about them, because one of them was wearing a digital watch, <laughs> So I didn't think it was <laughs> traditional druid uh, couture. Right. But uh, yeah, and they had a sort of. I don't know what. It wasn't a sundial on it. <laughs> no, it would have be been perfect. We did check the time. Yeah, and and I like remember these guys I've got photographs of also wandering around uh, singing their druid songs and uh, us feeling a little bit, uh, us university students at the side with a packet of Benson and Hedges, you know, having I mean, not been to bed. thinking it was all quite funny, actually. That was good.
0: That's yeah. very good. OK, round two, I think I'm going to give Fraser the... Uh, yeah, I uh, think so. ..he's going to no, win that round. So there you got one,
2: well, you, <laughs> you got one point each. But there, you've got to give me half a point for actually being allowed into Stonehenge. I mean, no, in absolutely. those days, there are probably people... Now, of course, it would just be sort of people scratching graffiti on it, presumably, hacking big lump, lumps off for souvenirs, as, of course, they used to do in the, in the 19th century. Yes. Do you know that? 19th century, when you went to Stonehenge, just shows you how people's exactly attitudes have changed. You, there was a stall set up uh, beside Stonehenge, selling uh, or renting out actually huge hammers, and you were invited to go in and just knock yourself a lump <laughs> of bluestone, big <laughs> chunk out of it, put it in your pocket, take it out, enjoy. Is like a little souvenir? I, I, I went to Stonehenge.
0: Yes, you know. my mum <laughs> my went to Stonehenge, and, and all, and I, got all I got was this lousy l- T-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OK, third round. <laughs> third and final no, round right, of rock and no, drums, OK. Who's right. okay. winning? We're level. Uh, you level. OK. Uh, Mark, Not first time back to at all. Yeah, Have God. you got your name on an album cover? <laughs> oh, God, you obviously have, Dave. That's brilliant.
2: Well, oh. As in
1: credits, or are they the actual cover?
2: Uh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yes, mind yes, mind I have. Yeah, in a very unflattering way. I'm pretty sure it's on a record by the Skids. Do I mean Skids? It was that group that... Uh, <laughs> or was it? No, no, it wasn't Skids. Oh, I think it was two actually the Skids and also the other one that was Jeff Dean was in. What oh, an awful group. Um, Leighton Buzzards. Leighton Buzzards. Yeah, I think Leighton Buzzards put my name on it. It says, like thanks, and it's kind of like a load of amazing ladies and people who made tea and, <laughs> and They said no thanks, colon. And it's just a, a load of kind of uh, truculent rock hacks. And you're one of them? Musical Express who didn't give them uh, a ten out of ten glowing testimonial, but found fault in the buzzards' uh, uh, oeuvre. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm on that. Yeah, uh, okay. I'm on an album. I'm on an actual album. my, my no, no uh, voice. album cover. Album and cover. And my name in a lyric. Is that oh, right. oh no, okay. And my on. name appears in a lyric on a song. Hey, go on. It's called Clean Steve by Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians, and it was on an album called I, I think, E-Y-E, and on the track Clean Steve, one of the, uh, one of the lines says, I called up Mark Ellen, but he wasn't really in, <laughs> so I talked to his wife Claire about some gig she said she'd seen. That's how
1: the line goes. Right. Well, I thought that was pretty exciting. Okay,
2: that's right. definitely me, isn't it?
0: Crazy, isn't
2: I've
1: got a wife called Claire, so uh, we thought it must be us. Um, right. My Fraser. name's on a, on a Cure album sleeve.
2: Oh, which one? Uh, wild Mood Swings. It was actually I an raise apple. you, my latent buzzers. <laughs> 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 so
1: so I'm kind of cheating because I ain't had the album.
0: Right, so you're about to get. So yeah,
1: and but what was nice was he wasn't getting on terribly well with his record company at the time, and so he thanked everyone at the record company very small letters and then put mine at the bottom in huge letters
2: you A&R the a cure album I did have a cure album I didn't know that I've yeah. oh, always that I about I have we we've so done all that podcast <laughs> I well, don't know yeah, yeah, I'm th-
0: reading a book or something
1: I think it may be their worst selling album I, I, I think care,
2: you're proud
0: so How many? you got your name on the cover how many copies have you got one just one. Yeah. Oh, I thought you'd have had loads. No, Give just one. Well, expect, well, sorry, I don't really want to. To Robert Smith came to
2: you, Fraser Laurie. Well, said, I, I happened Let to be working at
1: his, uh, his, his record company at the time as receptionist, and the A and person uh, left, and I got promoted into no, a kidding. position. Yeah. Well,
2: maybe you should have done a job swap. I know. and R <clears got throat> reception.
1: But I had great fun. I used to uh, I used to order tape, and I used to organise. Uh, they hired Jane Seymour's house because I organised the rental of that and I'd go down and uh, watch them play tennis instead of recording.
0: It's absolutely fantastic. So it wasn't one of the more productive episodes in the kiosk
1: I don't think so. I think they they basically took two years to record something, and the actual recording time and featured on the album was probably a day and a half. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, well, lockdown is played. OK, so, well, I think Fraser wins that one, actually. I
2: think he does. uh, So I think Fraser is the overall
0: winner of the first game of Rock Trumps. OK, so, you know, we'll... we'll, um... That's something to tell your grandchildren. It (laughs) is. It is. uh, So while while Fraser's been away, we had a word in your ear. The uh, the word gig. I've just seen a
2: copy of the of the magazines come back from the, from the from the printers. Actually, it's out. Was it out next week? I think. Yeah. yeah. And there's a photograph. I'm ashamed of this. We managed to organise a concert. With Fraser, you weren't there. So it I wasn't was a concert. F- it, was it was a called gig. a gig, sorry, a gig. And uh, we just forgot to send a dog for, for long. and so we managed to get <laughs> from uh, one of our. Uh, Blog regulars, Um, a fantastic photograph. It's not a fantastic (laughs) photograph. It's It's the best you can do. It's very important. We had taken on an iPhone into the back of the room of Pugwash. But it was very good. We had Pugwash supported by. Duncan Maitland, Maitland who's uh,
0: been on the Word CD, and uh, and then the Wootars. and it was uh, a splendid time was had by all, wasn't it? Well, in career, let's be honest, has <laughs> been launched.
2: It was a brilliant moment. I was, down, I was downstairs uh, with Kate Mossman at the bar, trying to load up a few drinks for everybody. And uh, somebody came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder. one of our uh, a lovely guy called Joe who writes into our website all the time. He said he's over there. He's been there three minutes. I haven't seen him eat any, any crisps or drink any cider. I said, "What's he doing?" He said, "Well, obviously, Steve Lemack. and Steve Lamac <laughs> and the thrill of having Steve Lamac. I have to say, was it was palpable. And uh, I, I got him on a guest list, and he." You know, professed to be annoyed that I put him on the guest list. Wanted to pay. God, he's a good bloke, Steve LeMack, isn't he? Goes up there and he sees the Wootars. Yeah, yeah. Who feature uh, one of the uh, members of our team, our advertising team. who coordinates the, <laughs> the, CDs. the CD's, look out Who's the, the Wootars. featured on the podcast six. in
0: the past. Yeah, the, the magic, magic Alex Gold. Magic
2: oh. Alex Gold. Give me his full title. And they played the most fantastic set. And Steve uh, Lamack raced back. To book them onto his six music show the next day, and I heard the interview, which, which magic is a phenomenally rude word, which I couldn't believe was broadcast. But there we go. Word, actually, I didn't even know what
0: it meant. <laughs> yeah, go on, tell I everybody what it was. Say go what it on, come can't I can't blush. Yeah, no, no, I think no You no. need
2: to use the, say the
0: entire phrase. Yeah, you word. do. The yeah. whole, yeah. Fly, the whole phrase. It's, it's just too rude. It's you just say three I can't words. Say, I blush. Go on, on have a phrase. Go on, tell us what it is. He tell is, us the context.
2: Place where the wootzars play. The place is teeming with clunge. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Teaming with clubs. Uh, it's a well, good for a group. It's called Club. It is, yeah. So, yeah, they did really well. They were pretty, weren't they? They were really
0: good. Well, they are all really good. Everybody amazingly
2: teed up by Walsh of Pugwash as being young. Although,
0: I think, actually... Well, you see, that's a funny thing. I mean, because that's the thing that I've been thinking about ever since. I mean, you know, Pugwash were... You know, I think Thomas said they're kind of in their 40s, I suppose. You know, and... And I think we, we sort of live in a world nowadays where there are more groups in their 40s than there are in any other age group. Because people don't stop anymore, no, do they? No one retires. No one retires. Yeah, the House of Love, and wedding so,
2: present, all those guys
0: must be. Yeah, so it? if you yeah. took a kind of census somehow of yeah. everybody, professional musicians, professional rock musicians in this country, you'd find they're all 44 or something like that, which is huge huge shift over a period of 20 years or something, and uh, and Thomas was saying, you know look at the Wutas, don't they look young and of course they are young, but they're only like 24 it's 24, 25, it's not Smirky Robinson, is it?
2: It's not <laughs> George Harrison of the Beatles, well, how old was yeah. George Harrison when went to Hamburg, he was thrown out, was he? 17. 17, he was well, like Phoebe Wonder. 12, the 12 year old boy genius isn't that right? Yep, yeah. It. A, actually, there's a piece in um, the, the next issue, uh, Next, we go about Steve, Steve Winwood, which of course is fantastic. You forget Steve Winwood was 17 when his band not the Beatles
0: off the number one. I spot. think I saw Steve Winwood singing with the Spencer Davis group on tour at the, uh, the cinema in Wakefield. I can't remember the name of it. And I think he was 15. He would have been 15. 15 and he join the was on cruise. tour. Yeah, he was with, 16 you know, when they had a hit group. with... Keep in on the on. middle of term, presumably, yeah. you know. They, they, well, you could leave school yeah. at 14 in those days. You could leave
2: school. Now, of course, you'd have to have a, uh, some
0: sort of maths teacher who'd have to be <laughs>
2: travelling with him. <laughs> doing reception, sort of swatting up between, revision
0: rather, between sound checks. So who are the great, this made me think, who are the great, you know, rock child prodigies?
1: I don't know if uh, he's great, but my favourite is uh, Eddie Van Halen's son. Oh, right. He's been burdened with the name Wolfgang, which doesn't uh, probably help in him attempting to be any good at what he does, but he now plays bass in Van Halen.
0: Oh, actually, as, as in a, the a fif-
1: group as a fifteen-year-old.
0: But he's fifteen. He's fifteen. So
1: he's, every fifteen-year-old in the world wants to be in a, a gigantic rock band without having to go through the all. In days. his
0: dad's group, and he's just walked into his dad's group. Well, I suppose yeah, to be fair, Neil Finn's. The uh, Neil sons, Finn's son was the same. two 50, sons, yeah. Elroy and um, Liam. Liam. They've both been in the group, you know, and well, Rikuda well, is. Like is both
2: his sons, uh, who are really I really, think really, they're teenagers, aren't they? Yeah, what well, he was the drummer on the yeah, last tour. Yeah, yeah. What I, about don't you, I don't know, I would say that it was cheating slightly to be, to be allowed in by your pa. <laughs> yes. See, Smokey Robinson, like, I think it was 15 uh, when he got his break. He, he turned up at bottom of the bill in um, a New York theatre and Ray Charles was on the bill. And he couldn't, he'd, I think he'd left the charts behind for the group or whatever, and Ray Charles dictated them to him. He sang all the harmony parts and he wrote them down on sheet music and gave it to you to then. They weren't called the Miracles. They were called something like the Deltones or something before I come on at all the time. And they played and, and you know, the, had they not done that, they would have lost their slot on the bill. There probably would have been no Miracles. But anyway, he was 15, I
0: think, at the time, which is fantastic. It's unbelievable.
2: It's just absolutely unbelievable.
0: I was looking at a clip this morning on YouTube. I'll post this, actually, on the site of Billy Preston at the age of 11. Appearing, oh uh, yes, have seen that. with Nat King Cole. Yeah, on Nat King Cole's, you know, nationwide TV show, playing the organ.
1: Another eleven-year-old, um, Doug Sam, as as in the Douglas Quintet, uh, performed with Hank Williams at Hank Williams' last ever show.
0: No, as an I never knew that. Yeah. Really? That yeah. amazing. <laughs> You see, nowadays, it'd be considered child abuse, wouldn't it? I
2: yeah. know, you an <laughs> 11-year-old yeah. at
0: a licensed venue <laughs> with Hank Williams. Who, you know, know there's going to be booing. There's no the paragon. <laughs> because <Yeah.
2: laughs> he's 30 and he's already had, you know, 19 years in show business. It's yeah. so yeah. absolutely yeah. astonishing, isn't
0: it? Have you seen those, those clips, here, which you can find again on YouTube, of Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. as a, as a kind of tap-dancing, mm-hmm. hoofing six-year-old or something like that. I mean, really, you know, people... Oh, it's Michael
2: Jackson stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Born in the trunk in a yeah, travelling yeah, yeah. show, you know, they, yeah.
0: they, they, these guys were. It was
2: absolutely... It's, it's, it's just a I remember Roddy Frame when, when I was at Smash Hits, uh, which must have been, I suppose, about 85 or something. Roddy Frame was billed as being, you know, just a child prodigy. I think he was quite... He was 18 or something when he did his first hit. But that wasn't... You know, that's not exceptional. If you go back to... The, Eric Clapton was 21, wasn't he, when he recorded the, the, the solo to Crossroads? And I can remember figuring that, that out when I was a teenager and thinking, that was really sobering. <laughs> they, I mean, he, and so he was 20. He, he was 21. 21. Yeah, he was born in 45, and that would have come out in, what, 67. He was, it was the summer, so he would been in 21. I mean, he would have been in the Yardbirds, I suppose, when he was,
0: I don't would he be 19 or would he 18? No, maybe 18. Could be. I mean, it's astonishing. I was thinking about the other day as I was digging out one of my my great favourite records, which is uh, Humble Pies, 30 Days in the Hole. very elevated piece of work, as, as you can imagine, as all the Pies recordings were. <laughs> the Pie! <laughs> <laughs> I, was a big, I was a big fan of The Pie. I, you know, I, I they, like that. My favourite dumb group, The Pie, yeah, no yeah. doubt about it at all. And, um, and one of my favourite musicians in The Pie, the man who held down the bottom end of The Pie... <laughs> you know the bass solid out uh, sturdy command did the fil- did the filling in the pie <laughs> no nonsense four string slinger was uh, no it was uh, was jerry shirley the drummer oh well, oh and, on, yeah, and you the- know th- that he was jerry shirley was born in 1952 so he's in is in the pie in what you know 1969 or something like that he was 17 years old you know so he's playing the stuff on their huge hit albums in the states when he's uh, nineteen twenty or something like that. What's the name of the guy the drummer in the
2: uh, the completely forgot his name now in the Plastic Ono Band? Went on to be yeah. Alan White. Alan White. White. I mean, Alan White was like, was like seventeen, wasn't he? Started?
1: Andy Fraser, free, was fourteen, wasn't he? Yes, he was.
2: Andy Fraser. That's a brilliant. Oh, one this Fraser. We still we're not going for points here because Fraser's <laughs> well ahead. <laughs> here. Andy
0: Fraser wrote uh, All Right Now, and he was like seventeen, and has done barely anything since. Really. Done nothing. And, since he formed a really good group called Sharks, who made two terrific oh. records, which I'm a big fan of, and then nothing else. Although, thanks to the interweb, I came upon Andy Fraser recently, and and here's the news. He's come out. Has he? Yes, now? he has. That's, that's old news, I, How yeah, old it's is old that news? news? Yeah,
2: two or three years old. Oh, yeah. well, I didn't know yeah, no, no yeah, I know. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> talking,
0: talking of people coming out recently, big story in the States, that... Uh, that went like wildfire around the uh, the media community and the web. And the, last week, that that some famous country star, female, was going to come out as gay, but they didn't say who it was. They said they'd done a deal with uh, with People Magazine. <laughs> didn't say who it was. They said, consequently, journalists were. Re- <laughs> <laughs> ringing the PR of every pl- halfway plausible female country star, going, "Is it your girl?" Yeah. <laughs> and The PRs just didn't know what to say <laughs> at all, you know? Know. And of course, the other uh, the other famous uh, prodigy, Jackson Brown.
2: Oh yeah, really. Wrote oh.
0: these days at the age of fifteen, unbelievable. Wrote the line, and infinite times I seem, what is it? I I seem afraid to live the life that I have made in song. It's just that I've been losing so long. 15 years old.
1: Kate, I Bush. To Bob Kate Bush. Kate Bush. She was did, uh,
0: when
2: she was 15. And I think
1: she wrote The Man with the Child in His Eyes when she was 12 or something ridiculous.
2: Yeah, she, yeah, she was silent. she was 15. David Gilmour, I think, was, uh, got her a deal at EMI. She was 18 she made, made her first record. It's funny, I was listening to North Country it was not terribly funny, I was listening to North Country Blues by Bob Dylan the car the other day. You, know, you remember that song about the coal mining, uh, the, sorry, the iron ore mining catastrophe, you know. And, you know, you listen to him and he's, he's 19, I think, when he's singing that, possibly 20 at the very earliest. And that is extraordinary. You know, because just the idea, the wisdom, but also the sound of his voice and the sheer sheer total 100% confidence about the way... So that's another thing that struck me about the Tars actually, who I do recommend to people. Yeah. The Tars hit that stage, Dave, with no element of apology. Absolutely. How many times have you gone to see a, a band and there's that shuffling and they're waving at their girlfriend at the back and they're just looking, got oh, that like, oh, I shouldn't really be here, you know. I was reading a book on the um, train coming this morning. This this is a a book which, uh, in fact, I have here with me Louise Wenner, who went on to be the lead singer of Sleeper. And it's really... I don't remember much What's about that called? That? It's called Different for Girls, My True Life Adventures in Pop, which I think comes out in about a month's time. I thought I'd have a read of it. It's very, very good. I'm going to get it to, to somebody to interview her, actually. It's fantastic. And uh, very, very funny, very yeah. affecting. But, but what really strikes me is... I don't really remember, actually, what they looked like on stage. I don't remember how much presence they got. But very early on in her story, you get the impression that she... Abs- even though she's very shy... She feels at her happiest and at her most, uh, what a terrible cliche, her most complete when she's on stage. And all the way through, you can feel it's building up to something. There's a little bit, I was reading this morning, it was so funny, and she gets a job in her gap year, right? And this is the kind of thing that we should be doing, if they're going to be serious about before we, She gets a job with her boyfriend on a floating restaurant, right? And she says, um... It's in Boston Bay. She said, this is the tenth time tonight that I've said, hi, I'm Louise. I'll be your waiter for this evening. After dinner, a scenic tour of Boston's harbour, and then I'll be performing I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston with the Spirit of Boston's house band. If you have any special requests, be sure to ask the captain he will try your hardest to accommodate you. You know, And you think, that is fantastic. So this girl's kind of apprenticeship before being in Sleeper, who I don't remember as being an explosive theatrical uh, concept, but the point is she had the nerve to get up and sing at a time when there weren't very many lead singers of groups that were girls. I mean, in rock bands, anyway. And the idea that what she did not her was she was a singing waitress on a floating restaurant, banging out, uh, Anchors Away, was the first song she used to do, Cry Me a River would be the second. I thought, that is fantastic. Yeah, Don't yeah. you think? Because that's what I remember, I remember my very, I've got very, very little experience at all of being in, in, in bands and things, but I mean, last year or the year before, we were at Cornbury Festival and my terrible pop group were going to play. And I had been put forward to sing two or three songs and my neighbour, as you know, is Nick Lowe. And I said to him, I saw Nick Lawrence, I am a bit worried about this thing. He said, I'll give you a bit of advice. He said, it was the most obvious advice in the world, he said. He said, want to sing that song. Want to sing it. Whatever it is, you've got to want to sing it. Because if you don't want to sing it, nobody's going to want to listen to it. And I thought, I mean, it was the most obvious thing once he said it. And I saw him play the other night at the church in Brentford. And, you know, there he is, quite shy again, actually. Quite got a shy bloke. Yeah, yeah. But when he gets up there, he is completely consumed by the belief, and maybe in the first two or three songs he might be slightly theatrical, but, but consumed by the belief that he can sing and that he wants to sing these songs, and these songs, above all, are worth hearing. They're brilliantly written, they're fascinating lyrics, you know, and he believes that that people are going to want to hear him sing. So you never feel that sense of awkwardness. You know, Steve Lamac, you know, we were talking about earlier, you know, he, must, he spends his life really watching support bands, nearly always finishes his cider, finishes his crisp leaves before the main line, because he's got to get another support band to sing. So he must have seen a million bands shuffling about, looking like they don't feel they belong on stage, you know. It's crucial, don't you think? Oh, it is. I it's mean, that is. One, you know, I remember the great theatrical groups I've seen in my life, including people like the B-52s, you know. I remember seeing them the first time and being absolutely mm-hmm. thrilled. And I was most thrilled by the fact that all five of them just were these monumental show-offs. They looked fantastic. They couldn't be happier than being on stage trying to steal the limelight, you know. There was nothing shy and retiring about them. It wasn't like watching Annie Lennox, you know what I mean? Oh, poor little me. You know, <laughs> yeah. oh,
0: I want to be alone. Well, be alone, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we're not going to bother you. <laughs> it's funny this thing about singing because we touched upon this. We we're talking about this in the office, I think, the other day. Uh, that um, there are two albums out at the moment, which are, I think, yeah, they're both reviewed in the in the in the new upcoming issue. Uh, one by Harper Simon, son of Paul, and one by Jacob Dylan, son of Bob. Very good record. And they're both yeah, they're both good. Actually. They're both good records. Yeah,
2: yeah. Dylan
0: records um, yeah. and. These guys are, you know, they're around about forty, actually, both of them, I suppose. And in, in Harper Simon's case, it's the first time he's made a record, isn't it? That's right. He's obviously been Which trying to get up by Bob Johnston. Is it Rolling Bob? Yeah, who made National Skyline. So yeah. he's, been, he's been trying to get up the nerve, really, to put out a record for you know, best part of twenty years. Jacob Dylan's obviously been there before, yeah, he the flowers and, and made his own records. And both these guys, they're clearly talented people. And a lot of their their kind of vocal fingerprint kind of comes from their parents, doesn't it? But neither of them are quite as gripping and authentic as their parents, well, are they? Well, no. We've got you Jacob Dylan is a really good example because that's a fantastically good
2: record. Really, it comes to record. You listen to the whole... What's the name of that record? You uh, I can't remember it. It. It's, it's really bad. good. You can listen to the whole thing as a complete series of songs. It hangs together. It has a real continuity. But he, And he's got a lovely voice, but he hasn't got that kind of presence, you know.
1: And, uh, the bar's being
0: set pretty high there isn't it? Of course it? it's well, yeah, being I'm set sure. high. Yeah, but know, but it the, the, teaches you a lot about what genuine musical personality is because I think in both cases these guys have got a lot of the talent. Yeah. But they just haven't got that X factor or whatever. Completely, you know. And uh, and you know you, you probably would if you'd met Paul Simon when he was 16, or Bob Dylan when he was 16, you would have met somebody you had to sing otherwise they were going to die. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are not the same.
2: No, there's just something very attractive about seeing I'm sure I can think anyone listening would be able to think of millions of groups who just felt they absolutely had to be on stage. And they were really competitive. They wanted to blow off all the people who'd be on yes. the ball and, <laughs> yeah. and leave the people following them thinking there's no point going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Because> sing, <laughs> singing,
0: which I you Because know, singing in public, which I'd, I'd, I've never done and would never seek to do, must, must be the most sort of naked form of self-expression.
2: The I did, I, I did, I tell you this? I did it the other night, the open mic, did I tell you about it? Oh, go on, yeah. My neighbour, my neighbour, who is, uh, writes for Folk Roots and she's the um, tenor saxophone player in my terrible band, and uh, she said, well, there's an open mic night, you know, and various mates of ours were going to play, I said, we ought to play come on, we'll get one song, we'll go on there, we'll go on bottom of the bill. So we turn up there, having no idea, actually, this is it's a, a fantastic uh, pub in, in, in Richmond called the Fox and Duck, it is is every Thursday night, you know, and we didn't realise actually it was a singer-songwriter thing. We sort thought it was just a jam, <laughs> you know, you should turn up and play, you know. So we had a run-through in the car park, we ran through, obviously we played On the Beach by, by Cliff and the Shadows, as anybody would, Dave, I mean, that's just a no-brainer, isn't it? So it's just a great phrase, stay with it, On the Beach. <laughs> it's a great, it, <laughs> it, it contains on one that? of my favourite lyrics of all time, in, in the middle eight, and that's is, mmm, this is fun. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? Mmm, this is fun. Sings Cliff, right? <laughs> it's brilliant. It's all about how, uh, you know, you're going to be dancing on the beach and if the bossa Nova don't get you, the twist will have you on your feet. You know, that the boss and Nova don't get you, you know. It's like I thought, we're well away. She so works out a little solo and some lovely little harmonies, you know. And then I hear us being called up and there's only, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 people in the pub, I felt an absolute white fear. Oh, Because, the t- I don't know, I'd have two people in the audience, you know, and, and it's, I mean, they're in the room with you, and there's, you know, there's no other music apart from you playing On the Beach by Cliff Richard. And we look at each other, and I, I'm absolutely, I, I couldn't even remember the lyrics the first time. We got through it. In fact, we were fine. But, but you know, after that, it's a load of people. This is the, this is the point I'm going to make. The people who came on after us, so 15 people allowed one song each... And they are all singing songs about their own lives. Now, you know, if you didn't like one of them, it doesn't really matter because it's, it's, it's like your true stories told live. It's Three or four minutes later, they'll be gone and replaced by somebody else. But I would say about 90% of them had this absolute and utter conviction that the song they'd written was worth hearing and that they were delivering it in a... Fascinating, gripping way, and uh, it was original, and they were going to hold your attention, and they did because of that. I right. mean, it didn't really matter. Some of the songs weren't obviously absolutely fantastic, but I was absolutely enthralled by a succession of. You just
0: looked at me, didn't know what they did for a living. Who were they? Did they work in a bank? Did they work in some of the <laughs> civil servants? Were but they, but the key, uh, you say that they all had well-placed confidence in their ability to do it. You know, and, and that's interesting, uh, but. There must have surely been a huge difference because they were only doing one song. <laughs> whereas I see loads of people go on stage who are going to roughly play for 40 minutes and they have misplaced confidence in their in their ability to do it. They'll think they're kind of working out. They'll think one bit of it will be, it'll be all right. That's Where, a really good point. Whereas when you're <laughs> focusing on four minutes... Yeah.
2: It's got to be right. It's got to be right. And uh, yeah, you're not getting, uh, getting another chance with it. Exactly. You're not going through the period of your set, which is where everyone can go and get another drink. <laughs> no, no. It is an absolutely supercharged four minute experience. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's, it's the same thing, as you say, with True Stories Tell Live. This this storytelling evening that I'm involved in, you know, that, uh, that all the people who are good all have one thing in common. They've all worked at it. Really They're really far higher than down. the people who are less good. No, it's like I, I went to see, um, uh, and this is related, I went to see Gorillas the other
2: night, and who I absolutely, absolutely adore, and it was one of the most phenomenal shows I've ever seen in my life. You know those terrible moments that you have, a sort of terribly male thing, <clears> when <throat> I was sitting there thinking, is this better than Bob Marley and the Wailers? Is this better than Little Feet? Is this better than Smiths? There's various groups that I've seen who don't exist anymore, and therefore they're never going to come back and ruin Actually, the Smiths Possibly could do. Come back and ruin it. But, uh, you know, and in a way you couldn't compare them, because I remember going to see Bob Marley in The Wailers and thinking, this is six or seven people on stage, and this is what they look like, and this is what they sound like, and I, I love everything about them. And what I'm really hoping is that they're going to play, I've never seen them before, I'm, going to, I'm hoping they're going to play Trench town Rock, burning and looting or something one of my favourite songs because I've got the general aesthetic here you know because what you got was Bob Marley in the way it was sadly perverse, sadly, <coughs> for, you know, 90 minutes but I, I part, maybe this is a facetious thing to say but the, the, the iPod has just changed your way of thinking to the point that very rarely I'm sure a lot of people listening also very rarely put on whole albums because you haven't got the patience. You're driving the car and you just punch through things and you're just used to variety. And the amazing thing about this Gorillaz show, which if, if anybody saw it, I'm, I'm sure they'd agree, it was absolutely riveting. A 11-piece group, right? Two drummers. Uh, fantastic. Uh, a, a string section of, of the most beautiful women I think I've ever seen in my life. Chose not just because of the, for their uh, uh, terrific prowess at the, 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 the violin or the viola, Dave, but I think because they all look like Jerry Hall on the cover of a Roxy music album. Well, they, I dressed as sailors, by the way. All violinists sailors. nowadays, yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And on the outside, you've got all this incredible combination of people, David Albarn on the back, a big bag of keyboard stuff, and on either side, dressed in complete naval uniform Complete with peaked caps were two members of the clash who looked fantastic. Mick Jones on the rhythm guitar and Paul Simon on bass, you know, who looked fabulous. They're, they're both exactly the same height and the same build, you know. They're just like sort of one person divided into two. It's just marvelous. And the great thing about the show was was that um, yeah, every song's pretty much got a different singer. So it's it's a kind of iPod concept. It's okay. like true stories. You know, the true story that you're gonna hear now is told by Moz Def yeah. Moz Def's gonna come on and sing. And then he goes off, and he's replaced by Bobby Womack. Comes on and sings <laughs> fantastic, and then he's off. And do you know what? It's only Sean Ryder from The Happy Mondays, you know. And, and then it's Damon Albarn, and then it's you know somebody else. And the whole thing—it was actually—it was like a. You
0: know, a, a variety of shows. It's a, shows, it's a tour. special. It's what, I was, I was it's, what, it's what shows used to be it's in the in 50s, the 50s that's and early 60s. Although, I mean, the only difference, you know, Yacht if you go two, and see a. Songs, go and yeah, yeah they get. Well, the opener would get two songs, yeah. the middle groups would get three songs, the headliner would get five. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea was they couldn't bear to bore you at all, Completely. you know. Whereas the rock, fan, uh, the rock band touring concept of the 70s and 80s and 90s is we don't mind if we bore you. You know, because there'll be some climaxes within it that you'll you'll kind of you'll be bought off by. You know what I mean? The but bit where we play our new album, you'll all go and go to the bar. Uh, or to the- I remember seeing the Cure once at
1: uh, Radio City Music Hall in New York, and, and being terribly bored and uh, and leaving halfway through and, and going to have a meal <laughs> outside.
2: <laughs> Was <laughs> and, it the album you were
0: on?
1: And returning to the venue a couple of hours later to find they're still playing which, uh, yeah, much too long. Too the long. second yeah. night, they were great. I don't know what went wrong on that. Well, you yeah. see, you <laughs> can
2: extend this theory to, to rock festivals. You, know, you go to Glastonbury, it's a really good example because there's a billion stages all within earshot. And you're putting in that same editing process yourself. You, know, you can go and see a group you absolutely adore, but you're just editing it your own way, by by strolling around yeah. the place, you're going to see two songs from them and then another song from the people playing at the folk stage. Now we're passing Jazz World. So you're doing exactly the same thing, actually. You're just extracting what you want from nine different performances. It's, uh,
1: if I may draw a food analogy, you, can, uh, if you get a plate yes. of food and it's wonderful, the first bite is divine. Bite number eight is not as good. <laughs> the, food, the food, is it hasn't changed. That's uh, true. It's, it's, it's not as good.
0: That's no. true. <laughs> Well, didn't Whereas it? a smorgasbord, <laughs> well, etc. Yeah. I, I think Neil Tennant made the, you know, the quite candid, you know, point when when the Petrol Boys started a tour that the only bit they liked about rock concerts was the beginning, and you know it's very brave of him to say that, but it's we all think that actually, we all think that I cannot go to a rock concert where I don't see the beginning.
2: Well, I would not like,
0: go in like if movie. I missed the beginning. <laughs> Not because they wanted to add up to anything, but because the major excitement will be at the beginning. It will. It is, but it will. 80% of the information's there as well. Yes. It? 80% yes. of the
2: information you're going to retain, you've already got, unless, they, in the unlikely event, they go off. And actually, the Pet Shop Boys is a really good example yeah. of somebody who do, do keep it uh, moving well, because it's a, a show, you know, it's a theatrical show. Well, it's a theatrical show. The least show. interesting thing about the Pet Shop Boys is the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, and they, they kind of know that. Well, they, a, they take a back seat. It's together. like the Madonna,
0: you know, the, the Madonna recent tour, which touched upon in a, in a big feature in the in the new issue again, uh, about the changing live Experience, yeah. um, you know that the Madonna "Sweet and Sticky" tour, every single number was treated as being a completely discrete entity. You know what I mean? That this. We dress up differently for this one. We have different dancers for this one. We use the screens in the really background. Good idea. We <laughs> have, you know, we have duets. Well, didn't you say that the a gorilla show they were duetting with somebody who wasn't there? Oh, sorry, it well, was a the same d- thing. But d- completely.
2: You've got the, the dimensions. Uh, it's, the show starts with um, Snoop Dogg, who's on the record, I think, and uh, obviously wasn't able to come. So what they do is, and this is just fantastically elaborate stuff technically, is they get Snoop Dogg shot singing this song. To the click track that they're using and the pitch they're using, obviously, it's a really clever piece of jump edit. So, jump edit itself doesn't feel real, weirdly. Obviously, if it's if it's an unedited piece of footage, then you feel that's something you could play in perfectly. Uh, but it made it. Fi- I don't know why it made it feel more extraordinary. But it, it fits, and he sings. And what the group did uh, was to play was simply to back him. So the two drummers, the two bassists, the string section, Damon Albarn, the two members of the Clash, the synthesizer player, all of them, and three backing vocalists, wallop into action, and all they do is sing backing vocal, which is fantastic. So you're sitting there, very close to the stage, watching Damon Albarn, three backing vocalists, just singing little tiny notes behind something that is coming from a gigantic yeah. plasma screen above them. Well, this—it it wasn't live, by the way. I mean, it's not—it's not like it's speedo you know, a satellite link or something. This is something they pre-recorded, mm. but it was just gripping. Uh, you know, in fact, you touched on that. In
0: the, in well, the, the, the Madonna the, the, tour, she duets with Kanye West, who's just on, you know, he's on a screen behind her. He's on, mm. he, you know, he's, he's recorded, you know, he's back home in American His money. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, the, people are perfectly happy to accept that's the new kind of live experience, you know, and it's, the, it's really interesting, because I think we're, you know, getting into an area where we're kind of... Live presentation meets with computer games, meets with massive sports events, meets with old-fashioned illusion, you know, delivered via new digital technology, you know, things like Cirque du Soleil start to bleed into this kind of thing. Maybe the
1: Stones will go on tour well after they've actually gone.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't, I, I, well, Elvis Presley well, it a very uh, cackhamed way Presley. they did yeah, this, yeah. didn't yeah. they? And did, did Nancy Sinatra sing a duet with her dad well, a dad? Well, I mean, Natalie Cole, Cole's whole career, absolutely. Of, you know, uh, duetting with a deceased father. Deceased <laughs> you know, father. So, you know, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to be the most cynical person in the world to think that when the members of the Pink Floyd have shuffled off this mortal coil, that's when you could start. You know what I mean? You could people go on I mean, you could and there can be franchises. Could There's been do... dozens of them <laughs> playing all them. over the place. Yeah, but right. it's like you know, uh, the last tour David
2: Gilmore did was with uh, Rick Wright uh, playing the keyboard. And at the second half of this, they do echoes off the second side of Metal. And I've seen the film of this, you know, and you could quite easily take the footage as a single camera on Rick Wright all the way through. He sings the brilliant backing vocal on the, on the on the verse, you know, and you could simply put him onto a screen, and David Gilmore could. I don't think, I don't think it would be unconvincing, actually, or awkward, or we've kind of. Whatever views we have have softened, I think. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I, yes, there was immense amounts of
0: technological kind of trickery going on in the gorillas thing. And it was
2: just all, it was absolutely gripping. It was breathtaking. to think that They managed to carry it off, actually.
0: So in the same week that we've been talking about that, we've also seen a unique and startling example of old-fashioned, unadorned musicianship in the shape of this clip that you found of, of the, what do we call them, the Fab Foe. Yes.
2: Oh, yeah, <laughs> these, yeah,
0: These American, incredibly experienced session musicians, you know, Will Lee and so forth. And um,
2: Oh, it's fantastic. We should plug this it. In fact,
0: I didn't find it. I was sent it by uh, one of the regulars on our, our site, Car Wash, actually. Okay. You
2: know Car Wash?
0: Oh yeah. You know oh, well, anyway, he's posted it on the site. We'll put it again on the bit yeah. n- alongside, uh, you know, this podcast because it's basically what is it six American session musicians playing the, the second, side, the, of the second side of Abbey Road f- and singing it. Starting f- with f- you know, on, yeah, yeah, like f- all the way phenomenal. from the beginning to the end, and it's just astonishing because it's you know if you go and see Paul McCartney nowadays with his band. He'll do a very good, you know, version of that kind of thing, won't he? And he'll do yeah. it way better than the Beatles would have done it, because they didn't have the opportunity to do it with the same technology. But he won't do it like these guys did it. Because every little nuance, every yeah. shade, every accent is there, isn't it? But it gets, it's, it's the kind it's, of thing that you would, I'm sure if you went to loads of classical concerts, you would accept it. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you yeah, go, that's just the Berlin Philharmonic playing that's the version what, of a song that you've that's heard how by they the LSO play. last you week, know, you know. The Berlin Phil were the first people to say we are not creative musicians, we're reproductive musicians. Absolutely. Whereas these guys you know, being session men are quite happy to do that. But don't you and think it's so astonishing to hear it. It is, but also again, it's it's to do with this sort of softening of um of attitude of things. Because you know, this whole thing
2: started twenty years ago, whatever, with groups like Bootleg Beatles, who were neighbours of mine actually. They they done a stage show in London and stage show had gone bust, but the group had learnt all the Oh, I want to live in your
0: neighbourhood. It's, you, you. It's, it's stellar. Story. Oh, yeah. The big black
2: Oh, yeah, it's like it's, stellar. They all <laughs> yes. move there,
0: because Mark
2: Allen... <laughs> yeah. yeah. you, know, you say that joke about June Rogers? You remember? June, June Rogers, who's very familiar to podcast listeners, who's Welsh. We just invented this ridiculously racial gang, yes, didn't we? Then that. June Street, number 27, was shaking Stevens. <laughs> yeah, Tom Jones. And James. it was Shirley Bassey, or, or, or Burley Chassis, as she said. Gareth Ed called Edwards. Gareth they're Edwards. They're, they're all there. Leonard Iceberg, where <laughs> they just, just round the corner from the post office. Anyway, it was really funny. Anyway. And uh, what are we talking about? Because we've forgotten You're that. You're talking um, about the uh, Bookmaker Beatles. Bookmaker Beatles and, yeah. and, uh, so when they started, you know, it was a little bit, oh, can you do that? I mean, can you really just dress up as the Beatles? it's ludicrous. Of course, that developed to a massive, great worldwide industry where, I'm sure, the <coughs> Pink Floyd uh, from the distance are probably far better than the Pink Floyd, you know, and uh, they've they worked at it a lot harder. And,
1: uh, and many of the tribute bands have been around for longer than the longer original. Longer than the longest, oh, it was, yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, yeah,
2: and yeah, people, yeah, and yeah, people yeah. in fact, on one occasion, I remember the Jam actually joined his own tribute band? I can't remember now. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Buckler, was well, it?
1: the lead singer of Yes came from a... current singer of Yes came from a Yes tribute band. Came from
2: band. a Yes tribute Julius band. Priest, same thing. And the and the Brian Wilson situation. Yeah. Brian, Brian Wilson was uh, 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 the leader of the Beach Boys looking for a band yeah. <laughs> The Wandermints were a 12-piece group who, who did could Beach completely, completely synthesise the sound of the Beach Boys without a lead singer. What a happy marriage that was. <laughs> but, you know, it's gone beyond that now. As you say, t- t- they're not the tribute band, these people. They are simply
0: phenomenal musicians who are capable of sounding like... And it's the
2: tone. Well, It's, it's, it's the
0: tone. It's, it's, like those, to- it's like those orchestras you come across who will play Baroque music using the original instruments, you know, or in the style of, and yeah. they'll, they'll make it sound like it would have started... Like, you know, it sounded like when Mozart did it. Exactly the horns and a That's what these people do. Yeah, and and I mean, it's not like the bootleg Beatles, is it? No, I mean, yeah, they they don't, they
2: don't look like the Beatles. They don't expect to look like the Beatles. They're and the also, it's not,
0: broad, it? it's, no. not, it's not broad, is it? it's not broad brush strokes. It's really, really precisely yeah, done. No, they've they? simply gone through
2: and they've worked out, which is what, which is really what the Wondermins did. Is they they they, they 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 managed to emulate records that had never been performed live. They were just great symphonies that had been put tele- together in the studio. So they had picked out of that great wall of sound. A way to reproduce it with them. I've, I've seen them more than once, and at one point, I think it was nine vocals going on. Nine, yeah, <laughs> it yeah fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But it, I really recommend it. Actually, you know, how long is it? Phrase of twelve minutes? 18, 18 minutes. 18 18, minutes, eighteen minutes, eighteen. minutes. 18 minutes. I mean, it sounds yeah. ludicrous. They to do Encourage that people to watch. You know, they are. You know, as you said earlier, the, the session musicians with Conan O'Brien show Letterman. I think they are absolutely top of the tree, aren't they? And there they are for eighteen minutes, reproducing, and you see them do it. It's fantastic.
0: Well, have you learned anything in the last few weeks, chaps? Anything you want to throw in? Um, I should just mention that various people have joined the, uh, the Word Magazine Twitter feed recently. Uh, Jim Parker in Z- Sydney, Australia. Uh, David Lloyd in Bridge End probably move into Jude's, you know, Welsh Street. He will, yeah. Uh, Sarah Rainey City university, John Wilson, uh, and we're now being followed by a pub in Stoke Newton. I like the idea that we're, we're being which followed pub? by pubs. Followed by a pub? The Jolly Butchers in Stoke Newton. Oh, and, and in, I used you know? to
1: drink there regularly. Oh, OK. 20 uh, years ago.
0: OK. Annette Lee and uh, John Toulon in Leeds, and so if you, if you want to follow us on Twitter. <laughs>
2: Nick Lowe uh, was when Nick playing the other night. He looked up and he saw in the audience the landlord of the Beehive, which is the local, just around the corner from his old church in Brentford. He said, uh, good Lord, he said, oh, Mr Jones here from the bee, beehive, the landlord said, leaving the beehive a rudderless ship. And I just love this idea as if, as if he'd suddenly come down and left his pub empty, yeah. but being taken over by people helping themselves to
0: pies. Anything to add? Nope. Shall we go and have some lunch? Yes. What shall we have? Oh, be a beer can! <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Barrett.
2: Uh, don't call us, we'll call you.
1: <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs>